welcome to Too Deep Hokies Under the Influence. My name is Pete Berthod, and as always, my co-host is Robbie Dowling. Another fantastic win by the Hokies that makes three wins in a row. In dominating fashion, we beat the Tar Heels. Robbie, how you feeling? I feel great. Getting more juiced up as the season has gone on. I like to start off at learning this from last year and learning my lesson kind of at an even keel and let the actual games fluctuate what my emotions are going to be rather than starting high and then proceeding to work myself down. <laughs> yeah, I've I've definitely done mostly the, the latter, unfortunately. <laughs> I'm always way too excited at the beginning of the season, and I slowly but surely get crushed. Um, why don't you give us the cheers, man? I'm... You know, we've done a lot of cheers on here, so I've had to start kind of thinking of unique ways doing this. I tweeted this out a little bit earlier. I'm going to give a cheers to somebody who's getting a little bit of credit, maybe not as much as he deserves, Greg Stroman. I tweeted out a stat earlier. What his stat line is this year is pretty remarkable, and no single stat actually blows you away, but all combined is pretty impressive. Six tackles on the year, five pass breakups. Eight passes defended, three interceptions, 13 punt returns for 165 yards. He ran one of those back, 12 kick returns for 275, and he's kicked two punts. (laughs) He's kicked two punts on top of all of that. So when we talk about all three phases of the game, uh, all we have to do is set him out there as a wide receiver, and he will be himself covering all three phases of the game, which is what Fuente, I think, wants. I love that. Cheers. Cheers to Greg Stroman. Definitely took some heat last year. They moved him all over the place. Tech staff has always, you know, clearly thought very highly of him because they've always put him in various positions, offensively, defensively, and on special teams. And he's really starting to to become a true playmaker for us, game in and game out. Before we kick off our recap, we're going to do one of our favorite episodes uh, last year and again this year, our pumpkin beer episode. And in this episode, we're going to do six beers so you know what to be buying this October. We're playing the Orange Men. Pumpkins are orange. What better time to do our pumpkin beer preview now that we're right in the middle of that fall season? I'm going to start off. I'm drinking the Weyerbacher Imperial Pumpkin Ale. Weyerbacher is a Easton PA brewery, and it's not too far from Philadelphia, I was up at a wedding in Bethlehem, and this is this was close by, so I stopped by their tasting room, and they have a really nice setup up there. And Weyerbacher is getting more and more popular. You'll see it all around. But if you get a chance to grab this Imperial Pumpkin Ale, I recommend it. It is, it's got a dark color, six and a half percent alcohol. It's really, really tasty. It's got like a good spice to it. Um, oh, I'm sorry, it's eight percent alcohol. It's uh, it's really, really good. The Weyerbacher Imperial Pumpkin Ale. Robbie, what are you drinking? I was surprised that we didn't have this on last last year, and was, we were just talking about this. Up there, the, the Southern Tier Pumpkin is one of the big ones for people. The Pumpkin Ale from Dogfish Head is one of the best pumpkin beers out there, in my opinion. It tastes phenomenal. It It's not overly powerful. It's not too sweet. I think the pumpkin is a little too too sweet. This is Dogfish Head out of Milton, Delaware. Everybody knows Dogfish Head, at least those on the East Coast. I, I really, really enjoy it. And I can have a couple of them. Usually after one, maybe two pumpkin beers, I'm kind of eh. But this one, it tastes more like kind of a session beer that you could kind of go keep going with so i like it a lot yeah that's a good one i had that one maybe a week or two ago and it's it's kind of an understated pumpkin flavor and you're right that pumpkin can be super sweet although it's it is good let's do our uh run through of the game and vt won 34 to 3 we beat the number 17 ranked north carolina tar heels and in the first quarter stroman our main man got us started off with an awesome interception I'm still not quite sure how he caught it, but it held up on the uh, replay. And we snapped Mitch Trubisky's pass attempt streak without an interception of 253 straight pass attempts. So that was awesome. And it led to a field goal. We had a forced fumble by Faison. That led to another field goal, making the score 6 nothing. And after a second bad snap that for us, it, <clears throat> UNC recovered the fumble, and they kicked a field goal. 
In the start of the second quarter, there were some really nice runs for Evans. We got multiple first downs on the run pass option. And then there was a fumble by Evans inside the 10-yard line. Next series for UNC, we had sacks on back-to-back plays by Woody Barron and Tremaine Edmonds. Tremaine just, the closing speed was unbelievable, uh, which led to a punt from their own end zone. On the following drive, Bucky had a great catch on the sideline. It led to a TD pass to Chris Cunningham, and it was 13-3 to at the half. In the third quarter, Barron recovered a fumble, and we scored a TD on the next play to Sam Rogers on, I know, a play that you love, Robbie, and we'll talk about it shortly. We had a botch punt by UNC not too long after that. That led to a TD on fourth down, which showed some balls by Fuente. It was 27-3 to at that point, and it was over after this, and it was 10 minutes left in the third. But if you're watching the game, you, you just knew it was over. UNC couldn't do anything. We had an interception by Moto in the fourth quarter, which was another good interception, but really an awful throw by Mitch Trubisky. Lots of running plays in this game. 66 total led to a TD by McMillan, making the final score 34-3. to And it's becoming a uh, – I'm going to have to create a sound for the Motley mop-up duty, maybe like a splashing <laughs> mop or something, because Motley is just – he comes in at the end of every game to mop things up for us. And in this game, we needed a mop because it was soaking wet out there. Robbie, this game was great. <laughs> it, was it, it was a mess, but it was great. It was ugly. An ugly game, great for Virginia Tech is probably the right way to characterize it. Anybody watching this that wasn't a fan of either team, I'm sure quickly turned it off, especially when we got into the second half. What everybody expected to happen in this game was a shootout between Gerard Evans and Mitch Trubisky. And that did not happen. The very opposite happened, and it was all weather-driven. We get it. I think we played it the the right way. But it was not pretty in any way, shape, or form outside of Hokie fans that loved every minute of it. Yeah, it made the ball incredibly hard to hold on to. There were 10 total fumbles in this game, four lost, two by each team, and a lot of drop passes by UNC. Uh, I think I counted five, but there might have been six or seven. We got a nice boost at the beginning of this game, too, that Elijah Hood didn't end up playing for UNC, something that we weren't exactly clear on. He had to leave the FSU game in the previous week, but I think they thought he was going to be ready. Yep. Uh, and he ended up not being ready, which that was nice to not have Elijah Hood out there because he's very dynamic. Our defense was just outstanding. I mean, three points, 131 yards given up. It was incredible. And what they did to Trubisky? It was phenomenal. They are getting to the ball quick when people are bringing it to the outside the closing speed of the linebackers looks fantastic i can't get over how well that they're playing the secondary there were there were a lot of drop passes let's call it what it is that could have at least put some stats up on the board for unc certainly would not have changed the outcome of the game because none of them most of them were you know out routes to uh to people on you know ryan switzer who dropped a couple and things like that (laughs) which that's very uncharacteristic of, of, of him. It would not have it would have padded the stats a little bit more for UNC to the positive, but our defense is looking, dare I say it, like the defenses of uh, of of old that we all know so well. And it's the speed, it's the depth, it's they are hustling so hard after every ball. You could tell that there's just a fire in their belly. Yeah. Trubisky had an awful day. Now he didn't get any help. And Ryan Switzer, who we were showing so much love to on our preview, had two catches for, I think, two yards. Trubisky was 13 of 33, which is terrible, 58 yards, and his first two interceptions of the season. We had 10 tackles for loss, two sacks, seven pass breakups, which might have been aided by the weather, but whatever. That's that's what the stats are telling me. And probably the biggest key in this game was UNC was a combined two of 18 on third and fourth down. I mean, I don't know if I've ever seen that in any game we've had. It was it was amazing. Yeah, it's incredible. And I think, I looked earlier today, I think on the season, teams, and I don't put much merit on this, but nine teams have gone for it on fourth down, and there's been only one conversion against us so far this season. So, But the third down, you're right, that is, that is one of Bud Foster's key stats that he looks at every single game. And when that is there, and he has that humming, he has people behind the chains, and he can really wreck a, a whole lot of damage onto an offense. 
UNC 100 and what 131 total yards, yeah. 73 on the ground in a field goal. I, I don't know how UNC fans are feeling right now. I actually do because on Reddit and things like that, I've, I've seen some of the reactions. Every you have probably one third of them claiming the weather. The other two thirds are being you know a little bit more uh, <laughs> r- r- realistic about it that we played really well. The defense was in my mind. The story of the game, it was the story of the last three games, the way that they're playing, just shutting down uh, opponents. They would have had more points if Stroman didn't break up that touchdown in the end zone. That was one of his three pass breakups in this game, and he hit the guy at the perfect time to knock that ball out and not get a pass interference call. It was one of the best plays of the game, in my opinion. And Tremaine, I, I said you know about his sack in the game, but he just affects so many plays Uh he is becoming an absolute monster. He is, and it's because, granted, I, my thought is, I should say, it's because of what Moto's been able to do, and Moto's consistency has allowed Tremaine Edmonds to get his feet underneath him, gain some experience, gain some reps, and start to make headsy plays and, and, and instinctive plays rather than thinking too much. You hear Bud Foster say it all the time. The guys need to get out of their own head and just start reacting, right? It's not a thought of what you're going to do. You just react. Moto, who deserves tons of credit, we've given him tons of credit. He deserves all he can get after you know the amount of heat that he took last year. You know, an interception, 12 tackles, seven solo tackles, and one and a half tackles for a loss and a half sack. A half sack. That's, that's a pretty damn good stat line. And his consistency through these games has allowed Tremaine Edmonds the time to start being more aggressive and really develop into a player that Bud Foster said, even, on, even today, he said he's just tip, at the tip of the iceberg of his potential. And that's scary for D. That's got to be scary for an offense if, if the way he's playing is the tip of the iceberg. Yeah, exactly, man. And the D line, the whole thing deserves a shout out. Woody and Kenneth Canham are just ballers at this point. They're causing so much havoc. I mean, we we were talking about the havoc rate last week. For our listeners, I I figured out what havoc rate is actually a combination of. It's tackles for loss, passes defended, and forced fumbles divided by your total number of plays. And right now. Virginia Tech's havoc rate is third in the nation, and if our DBs are number four in the nation, and our front seven is number twelve, so this is why our defense is so effective. We're really causing a lot of problems for the opposing offenses, and a lot of it's a credit to this this D line. Is you know, Canham and Woody, they're just leading by example, and all the guys are playing at a high level. First time starter Mahota, he has had a great first few games. Settle's been really good. I hope that you know his his injuries is going to be okay. Um, and we're basically top ten in every statistical category across the board when it comes to defensive line. We'll jump a little bit more, I guess, into these these defensive numbers maybe at the halfway point, which is next week or uh, the week after. But the one thing I will say is we're number one in defensive pass efficiency, and that's the only category we're number one in. I think. But it's it's awesome with how much spread offense there is in college football and how many how many teams pass the ball and get away from traditional running style. Uh, being number one in pass efficiency is really impressive, and, and we'll see. Yeah, it's in- incredible, and it's almost a little bit. I don't know what the best way to put this is, but a little bit backwards. So, the, Bud Foster always says that he wants to make teams one dim- dimensional, right? And in this particular way, I think that our pass defense is allowing us to be a ton more aggressive in in what we're doing up front on the D line. And that's not always the way that it's cut for us in the past. Sometimes it's been our, our rush defense that has kind of forced people to pass it through the air. This is how I want to see it. And this is the way I guess I'm comfortable watching our defense is knowing that we have a solid secondary, knowing that our linebackers are good, and then allowing our defensive line to tee off on guys. Canham should have had another sack in this, but it got called back on a penalty. So exactly. he he's having an outstanding year. The depth at defensive tackle, I honestly think, is probably driving offenses nuts at this point because we're able to get people in the game. They're fresh. They're ready to go. Like you said, I hope Tim Settle's fine. Fuente wouldn't comment on it today during his press conference. I hope he's good because our depth there, I think, is 
outstanding. And the D-line is playing fantastic, and I just hope they keep doing what they are. Yeah, let's talk about the offense, which it wasn't the story of this game. I think that's evident by how much we're talking about the defense. It was sloppy, and I I don't know how you wouldn't expect that in the weather, but Fuente was smart, kept it on the ground. I, like I said in our rundown, 66 rushes by Virginia Tech in this, in this game. It was so hard to pass, but even still, Evans managed two touchdowns through the air. He ran it 21 times, which is more than you'd like for your quarterback for 49 yards. But it, it was it was working for us. It was getting us, you know, our first downs as when necessary. And, you know, with how sloppy it was, the fewer the handoffs, probably the better. Um, we finished with 189 yards rushing, 264 overall. And our time of possession was forty, nearly 40 minutes in this game. Yeah, two times what UNC, UNC had. It was not a pretty performance, but that's what you would just, you know, expect going into a game like this. We had the two fumbles, but it was a wet ball. Two is probably what I hoped for, seeing what the weather was going to look like. It was going to go on the ground. We knew it was. We got a little bit lucky because I think we laid, what, four total on the ground? And we I think it was seven. It was listed as seven, but, but I think two of them were from the punter right correct so we got we got a couple back from you know when a true kind of fumble which um at least how i'm thinking about it and so it could have could have gone a different direction but i think we (laughs) i think we wasted all of those uh, or used up all of those in the ut game so uh, things start to bounce back our way and revert to the mean a little bit and gerard evans running a bunch i i i was scared shitless when he was still in the game in this weather and it's it's funny because in thinking about it after the game i i never used to be scared when logan thomas was still in there later in the game than you would expect him to be the difference is gerard evans is not as as big he's a pretty big dude though i think the difference is gerard evans is so much uh, greater of a threat oftentimes in the pass game that I think of him as a passing quarterback, right? So I'm like, I don't want to lose our great passing quarterback. He he rushes the ball very well, but it was funny thinking about it after the game, why I was so worried that he was still in there, despite even the conditions uh, or really due to the conditions. And it's because he has so many tools that he can aid this offense with. And I really, really get scared every time. When he went down that other game, you know, I want him in this offense, and I think he's a huge asset to it. Yeah, I think we definitely learned that Evans is tough over these last you know, couple games. Even when he's gone out of the game, I think that was, what, ECU maybe? Yeah. I've seen him get rolled up a few times and his ankle go the wrong way and stuff, and he just gets up. Uh, he seems durable, and I'm going to knock on wood right now. Mm-hmm. But, you know... He seem he's thick, like you said, and durable. And he, you know, running twenty one times, and he took some shots. Yep. Um, he knows he knows how to run the ball and get down here and there. But he he definitely took some shots, including that fumble shot, which was a tough one. But uh, I like his toughness, and I, and I think that we might just get lucky in the fact that some guys are more durable than others. Trayvon had a nice day, seventeen carries for seventy six yards. He finally led the team in rushing. I was hoping he'd get a little bit more loose than this, but with the footing being as bad as it was, uh, 76 yards, the way he – I think his longest run was maybe 10 yards. So he was consistently getting chunks every time he carried the football. Mm -hmm. And I guess my – I'll say a negative now. We can do it later, but I want to just say it now because there was a few times where I felt like Evans should have handed off to it up the middle. Yep. And Trayvon would have had these wide-open lanes, and he kept it instead – um, there were, there were some openings more in the middle. I, I wish we would have done that a little bit more, but it's hard to complain <laughs> with the way the game ended up turning out. I, but I think that will be something on film review because there were some openings for Trayvon and whoever else to, to make some, some gashes in, in that inside. And that's not the first time that that's happened. So there's, no. we, we're nitpicking at this point because the team's playing great, but that's the point, right? We're going up against, um, yeah, we're going to continue playing the season. There's going to be tough competition. So you want to keep honing in on those things. There's been the last three or four games. There's been reads that Evans shouldn't have kept. And he has been, there's a little bit of hesitancy there in this game. I could pass it off on protecting the football. I think that's part of the reason, but there are, there are times there that there are wide open lanes and there were at least three times that even the announcers were 
looking kind of at each other sideways saying, why didn't he just give that to, to Trayvon? Yeah. Yeah. That that was my one major complaint. Um, Cam Phillips had a nice day, 42 total yards, and uh, he continues to improve every week. It seems like too, ever since that little thing where he missed that block and he, you know, he got to wear the number 25 and, and it seems like that 25 might be given guys powers, you know, these last couple of weeks with Stroman and now him Incredible. having two good, two good games in a row. And Bucky had the one great catch. Didn't have any other catches, but that one was – I did not expect him to do that. His wide receiving skills have never been great. His hands have never been great. I When I first saw the catch, I was like, no way did he come down with that imbalance. But he managed to drag his back foot and caught it, and we scored right after that. And I really like the Sam Rogers play. We don't want the, that Again, that like pop pass. I think we did it against Tennessee kind of. Yep. Went right down the middle. Great throw. Great play. Uh, it just worked out awesome. And I like Chris Cunningham. When we we use him, there's so much focus on four. There's so much focus on Rodgers, Bucky, you know, Cam Phillips, that people are kind of forgetting about when we bring Chris Cunningham into the game in the red zone. Twice this has happened. In the same exact pass play, it's worked yeah. both times on that another kind of little pop, pop pass over to the right side in the end zone. Uh, congrats to him on his now second touchdown uh, of the season. I like that play. As long as we don't use it a ton and in the right situations, it seems to be working really well. Yeah, so the let's do the negatives. I You know, I already basically mentioned my biggest and really only wanted be nice to see that center Evans exchange go a little bit better because one time Evans was walking up to change the play and he just snapped the football. So I'm not really sure what that was about, but yeah, Evans and the holes up the middle, that'll come with time. And you know, if, if we, if we can learn on that after we beat someone 34 to three, that's a great time to learn. If you're asking me, yep. Final takeaways. We're leading the coastal new favorite, probably in the coastal. If you ask a lot of people, it's looking that way. Yeah. Uh, with Miami's loss to FSU, taking an ACC loss is never gonna gonna help you out. And the recruiting impact of our quick start this year with a four and one start and beating UNC, who we compete with a, for a lot of recruits with, this is big. Uh, and I think the fan base is is really on board now. There's a lot of tech fans in Chapel Hill weathering that storm. Yep, there was a ton, and they had the whole Justin chant going right at the end where he. Justin was basically sitting there right in front of the fan base and they were yelling his name and chanting his name and he gave everybody a wave and mentioned it afterwards in a lot of the press conferences. Um, you know, I guess my, my takeaway being that a couple things. One, I hope Tim Settle is, is good. Uh, it sounds like Isaiah Ford is fine. Uh, I'm not putting too much merit right now in the rankings because it's a battle of attrition. You right now in front of us, number six, Houston lost, UT lost. Granted, these teams didn't jump behind us, but these are all teams that lost that were ranked. Houston, UT, Miami, Stanford, Arkansas, UNC, and Colorado all lost this week. It's win win your games, and we did it this week, and that's what we need to do. (laughs) It sounds stupid, but it's absolutely true. It's just... Focus, win your games, and I think that we went out and we handled our business and we did it in convincing fashion and in enough that a lot of people noticed it. Right, and it was more than handling business. We, you know, on our preview, we we talked about how important this win was. You know, it really the coastal implications. UNC's schedule is is not tough down the stretch. They already beat FSU. They have Miami this week, but if they if they beat us. They could have lost to Miami and then still gone seven and one in the ACC and be the Coastal champs. This was a big, big win in terms of going to the championship game, which my hopes are now only that. Like I want to go to the championship game and get our shot against Clemson, FSU, Louisville, whoever it might be. Probably Clemson, but we'll see. And we didn't mention this off the top, but VT did move up in the rankings to number seventeen in the AP poll. So some of us. Particularly me, thought it should be maybe a one or two spots higher, but like you said, it doesn't matter. Win your games and you'll get respect. That's right. And the only last thing I would mention as a takeaway was um, 
you know, I don't, I don't like waking up after, uh, it was an exciting Saturday, so I probably celebrated a little too much waking up around 9am or 10am to hear the ESPN Sunday morning college football recap talking about Virginia tech about, you know, they, they, them saying that Gerard Evans is out there telling the media that we deserve some more respect, that we should be up there with the Clemson, Louisville, FSUs, and UNCs of the world. It's not a great look for, for us. Granted, if you go back and actually watch the film, which I did today of that quote, and I did after I heard it come out, he was the complete opposite of the way that they made it out to be, right. which really pisses me off. But he was essentially saying those are all great teams those are all really really great teams we just think that we should be mentioned in the conversation was the long story short which there's nothing wrong with that I, and no, it's what what we've been saying now for a couple for a couple weeks so. right so i i was i was pretty i was first i was like oh gerard what'd you do you just put a target on our back and then i watched the actual press conference and now i hate espn even more <laughs> all right let's Let's let Robbie cool off with another beer break. What are you drinking over there, Robbie? So people are going to be a little bit frustrated with us, but I can't help it if you have a good beer brewery and you put out good beer. I'm with the Pumpkin Down Ballast Point. We've had tons of Ballast Point beers on here. I get it. But we are doing six beers on this episode, so I think we can... Get a little leeway here on putting another Ballast Point beer out here. And no, we're not sponsored by Ballast Point. Trust me, we're not sponsored by anyone. So <laughs> Ballast Point Brewing Company, it's a Scottish ale with pumpkin in it. And mm. completely opposite to what the pumpkin ale was, Dogfish Head, it, it is a true kind of... It's not, I wouldn't say it's a true Scottish ale, but it absolutely leads with almost a Scottish ale and then uh, a pumpkin flavoring over top of it. Ballast Point out of California, we know we've mentioned them a million times. I really like this beer. I The first time I had it was a while back. I hadn't had it until tonight more recently, and it's very good. I got to be honest. I'm having the Elysian Night Owl. I think we've had uh, at least one other Elysian on and I really like this. It's their pumpkin ale. It's called Night Owl, but it's a pumpkin ale. And I've had it before, admittedly. And it's 6.7% alcohol. It's sweeter than the Weyerbacher Imperial Pumpkin, but not too sweet. I I really, really like this pumpkin ale. Um, anyone who asks me about pumpkin beers, this is one I will always recommend. This and the, uh, the Pumpkin Head by Shipyard we had on last year's episode are two of my uh, favorites when it comes to pumpkin beer in general, the Elysian Night Owl. Let's jump into our Syracuse preview. Syracuse is coached by Dino Babers, formerly of Bowling Green, and before that, the Baylor coaching tree. They're 2-4 and four this year. They've beaten Colgate and UConn, and they've lost to Louisville, USF, Notre Dame, and the Titans of the ACC. Wake Forest. Your Wake Forest this year. <laughs> Wake Forest was my team last year, and now it's your team this year. It is. And Wake spanked them 28-9 to last week in Winston-Salem, so it was another hurricane game. Dino Babers is, is a little bit older than your average, uh, more recent head coach. He's 55 years old, and he has been coaching since 1984 as a graduate assistant at a total of 14 different schools. I couldn't believe it. I was looking at his wiki page, and the, the list of schools like, took up half the page. He even coached uh, Jimmy Garoppolo, who wow. recently has become the fame uh, at, at the Patriots. He coached Garoppolo at Eastern Illinois. Oh, my goodness. Uh, so so he, has a, he likes his quarterbacks. And if you know how Syracuse plays, they run that hurry-up spread offense, and the quarterback gets to throw the football a lot. Their offense is pretty much – it's the bright spot. If there's a bright spot for Syracuse, it's the offense because it's certainly not the defense. They're 36th in total offense this year, um, and their offense is the number 43 ranked in the S&P. They've got a lot of playmakers, and their quarterback leads the ACC in yards in Eric Dungy. But 
there, there's always a but when it comes to Syracuse. If you look at any of their stats, you can you can look exactly at another stat and you're like, actually, it's not that good. For instance, I said they're 36 in total O, but they're 76th in yards per play. Eric Dungy leads the ACC in passing yards, but he's ninth in the ACC in passing efficiency. And their wide receiver, Amba Edetau, which I hope I'm getting correct, leads the nation in wide receiving yards, but... 480 of his yards came against Colgate and UConn. So with everything that you see about Syracuse, if you really you know, pick it apart, it's not good. They're, they're really not good. I don't know if, if you see anything different than me on this, but, but they do have some guys who can make plays. They do. The one thing I see in this is the carrier dome, which I hate. And <laughs> it's... I don't know what happens in there. This year, it's been kind of normal. And I look back, 2014 was kind of you know straightforward. But I think our last, I think our last time we played there, we lost back in what 2000. And I can't remember when it, it was. was 2003, yeah, I believe. 2002, 2003, we lost in the Carrier Dome in an upset at the you know very end of the game. There's just weird stuff that happens there that I hate. Last year which doesn't make any sense because Syracuse wasn't anything last year. They took number eight LSU to the wire. They took number 25 Pitt to the wire. And they took number one Clemson that ended up playing in the in the college football national championship to the wire. And I don't know what happens there, but it's just weird stuff. They had Leonard Fournette was on all cylinders when that LSU team went up to the Carrier Dome. We talked about it on the podcast last year, and they kept it close somehow. I don't understand, but it frightens the hell out of me. Yeah, I'd say the number one player for Syracuse in this this matchup is probably the Carrier Dome. Yeah, (laughs) that's exactly right. (laughs) They have the leading wide receiver in the country, but I'm more scared about the venue than him. Joking aside, they... Irvin Phillips, Steve Ishmael, Brisley Esteem. This wide receiving core is talented, very talented maybe. And and Dungy is 64% completion percentage, 11 TDs, only four picks, five rushing TDs also. He can run a little bit. There's some danger here, and I think that with the, there's some susceptibility. We saw with the long plays against ECU. They, they're going to put up some points, um, and, and if nothing else, some long plays that hopefully we can you know, stop them in the red zone and make them kick field goals. Their running backs, Dante Strickland and Mo Neal, nothing too crazy. We're talking four yards a carry, at most five yards carry with Mo Neal, and then Jordan Fredericks has a little bit higher average, but you know he, he barely gets any carries. So running backs aren't what they do. This is a passing team. Their offensive line is... 112th in allowed tackles for loss, that's not good. 98th in sacks allowed, also not very good. This is a game where our defensive line should shine. Again, get the tackles for for loss up, uh, create that havoc we were talking about. Do you have any other comments on this offense? No, I've, they've protected the football relatively well, and I compare most teams to us at this point. Four fumbles and four interceptions. I mean, they're they're not doing damage to themselves, I guess. And for how much they're passing it, four interceptions is not too bad. They're just launching the ball everywhere. I mean, this is a... If they if they were in the Big Twelve, this would be an air raid offense. Let's put it that way. <laughs> and they're converting. I think it was forty percent on third down. That was a stat that really jumped out at hmm. me, and something that we need to watch. Granted, to your point, I didn't go into the details of whether <laughs> they were a hundred percent against Colgate and in uh, UConn, <laughs> but it's. What I guess on the offense and their wide receiver, I think even with the padded stats, I think most people believe that he is extremely talented. So I will be interested to see how we match up against him, who we put on him. And, you know, their O-line, I think, could be in really big trouble. They let up five sacks against Wake Forest. and. Wake Forest defense is actually somewhat decent. It's not great, but it's somewhat decent. But, I mean, five sacks is a lot in in one game. So 
I in think, a hurricane too. Exactly <laughs> in a hurricane as well. Well, we I I don't know how many sacks we let up in uh, in the hurricane. What three or something? I think we gave up two and got two. Got it. So five still a lot. So I'm not too. I guess I'm worried about the offense, but let me let me kick it to the summary point, which is my main concern about this this game and making sure that we handle our business and maybe we can kick it over the defense and then I'll wrap up with my my overarching thought of what I don't want to see happen in this game. Okay. We'll do the defense real quick because it doesn't need a lot of mention. Mm-hmm. And it's because they're 113th in total defense. They're 118th in yards per play. Uh, they're second worst in the ACC uh, in that category. And you know the, the worst yards per play team in the ACC is? Florida State. <laughs> really? <laughs> yes. Florida State is the worst team in the ACC in yards per play. But Syracuse is second worst. They're 109th in tackles for loss. They're 94th in sacks. They're 99th against the rush. If you notice a trend here. Like everything's right around the 100 mark. They're, you know, the S&P has them as the 91st defense in terms of quality. If you're talking players, uh, Chris Slayton, defensive tackle, he's a young guy. Uh, he's the only guy I would really say to be fearful of. He's about 300 pounds, 6'4", big kid, and he's got all the NFL measurables, but he's still learning. He's he's had some good games, um, but he's someone to watch. It's, it's Chris Slayton in the middle. Their linebackers are probably their best their best group, and maybe by a long shot. And Zaire Franklin is the leader of that group. We talked about him in the summer. Um, and he's living up. He's six and a half tackles for lost, second on the team in tackles. And Paris Bennett is the other linebacker. He leads the team with nine tackles a game and actually has three pass breakups as well. Their secondary is maybe the worst um, in the ACC. Uh, it's really bad. Their havoc rate for their secondary is 127th. There is 128 teams in FBS. So they beat somebody. <laughs> they're, they're, they're ahead of one team. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know who it is. I should have looked it up. And, uh, you know, their special teams really aren't very good either. They're 71st in the S&P in special teams. So their offense, yes, they, they'll maybe score some points on us. Their defense, their defensive backs are undersized. Uh, their linebackers are okay, and their D-line has one playmaker. This is a team that Fuente can tear apart. I agree. Also, on the defensive notes, they're, they already have an extremely young defensive line. And now Kendall Coleman was is suspended in the first half versus Virginia Tech. He had a targeting call last week. Uh, nice. So he'll be out for the first half of the game. Their secondary is giving up, to your point, a ton of deep pass plays. So I see this as an opportunity, assuming – Granted, caveat everything, assuming that we're handling our business, this is a time that we can really work on the deep ball. And I that's what I'm hoping to see from our offense against this this defense. I think their linebackers are pretty solid, manageable, but pretty solid. And I'm I, their secondary is, is, is really terrible. And they have a young defensive line that's still trying to gel, and they're not even close to there yet. If we don't come out flat, you know, I don't see any reason we can't score 45 points on this team. We've been doing it for a couple games now. Um, and it could, you know, we, this, the statistically, they remind me of ECU. Only Syracuse pasty is way worse than ECU's on paper, on, you know, if you're looking at the numbers. Um, and we scored 54 in CCU. So Gerard Evans, despite his worst week of the season last week, is still fifth nationally in, passing efficiency still fifth even with his seven for 17 performance like you said his only real weakness in his passing game is that deep ball he's had a harder time past 30 35 yards putting it in there so we'll see if if that changes if it doesn't change i don't think it will matter against this team i still think we're going to put up the points my worry is more of a you know a an existential worry, I guess, and just that us not being ready to play because we just had a you know a dominating win. Guys are starting to talk a little bit about us, and 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 that we should be noticed, and this and that. That's what worries me more. If you're just looking at the numbers and what we're playing, like there is no reason we shouldn't just drop tons of points on this team. Agree. It's a letdown game by definition. One team is vastly outmatched 
compared to the other team. But we have a couple things happening here. You have the national media. You have the uptick and you know moving us up, whatever eight spots in the polls that people will be talking about. And you also have Miami coming up on the horizon. Right. So yeah. it's a look ahead game, right? We, even to what Gerard Evans said during the press conference, we want to be mentioned with all those guys. Forget who cares who we're mentioned with. Go out there and stomp Syracuse, and right. then we'll worry about Miami. I My number one concern is I just don't want this game to turn into a shootout. Stupid stuff happens during a shootout, and that's what we need to. We need sound defense, continue playing like you have, and don't turn this into a game of points because that's when weird things happen. And we don't want to be going into the fourth quarter with the score, you know, 42-40. And somehow they've just unleashed havoc on our defense in the secondary. That's what we need to avoid. Contain the points. Keep it low scoring if you have to. Doesn't matter. But don't start turning turning this into, you know, a, a battle of who can get to 51st. Generally, they, the saying goes... Defense travels, and if that's the case, we will be fine. I said this before ECU because I think the teams are similar, similar quality of play, similar playmakers, that ECU is probably going to you know score 20 points on us or something, somewhere around there. Now, that didn't end up happening, but they still ended up with those two long plays and they got 14 points, and whether that was because of the score of the game, whatever. Qs will have some long plays. They've got the wide receiver talent to do it. And they may even score 20. Then again, our D has been keeping things so close and surprising me every week that I could see us holding them under 10 points. It's going to depend on how the game plays out. If we take a while to get our first downs going, and maybe Syracuse has a really you know big play early in the game and we're down 7 or down 10 early on, it can change the dynamic of the entire game. I still, when it's all said and done, expect us to get to that 35-plus point mark and to hold them under 20 points. I I don't expect them to hit the 20-point mark. Maybe 17, maybe 14, but I don't expect them to get much more than that. You're right. I don't want this to turn into some super weird game where maybe we start fumbling or, you know, the the ghost of the Carrier Dome comes out and, and, you know, and hurts us. (laughs) But I I just... uh, I just don't think we're going to lose this game. It's a trap. It's it's a it's a letdown spot. It's all of that stuff. I just I don't feel it. I don't feel it for this week. I agree. I'm worried about it, but I don't feel it. Big yes. difference. <laughs> yes, exactly. Okay, we're going to jump into our lines, but we need to do one more beer break. For my last beer tonight, I am having the Smutty Nose Pumpkin Ale. It's an ale brewed with pure pumpkin puree and spices, as it says on the label. Smutty Nose is from New Hampshire. I've had a bunch of their stuff. Usually, I really like it a lot. We had a couple of theirs on last year, which I all, all liked. It's it's weird because I've had two that were very flavorful before this, and this is more like the dogfish, which is kind of an understated pumpkin, which true beer drinkers would probably enjoy more. It's very good. I cannot... For whatever reason, there's no percent alcohol on the label. To me, it seems as if it's right around five and a half or six, um, just based on taste and color. But it's the Smutty Nose Pumpkin Ale. If you're looking for something a little bit lighter in terms of the pumpkin flavor, this would be a good choice for you. And Robbie is moving on to a beer that isn't a pumpkin but is still fitting. Robbie, why don't you tell us something about it? So... Yeah, I don't want to make this too long, so I'll, I'll try and be concise and quick here. So I had a cousin down uh, that lives up in Connecticut that said he had his favorite brewery that is up in Massachusetts that he likes to get beer from. It's called Treehouse Brewery Com- Brewing Company. Everybody has their own tastes and likes, so I always take things with a grain of salt when I tell other people they should and when they tell me what their favorite beers are. But he said they have a bunch of fantastic beers, very highly rated anywhere that you look. And he was going to send me a couple. So he shipped them down and I had one and it was fantastic. And I'm having this one 
and it's fantastic. It's called the Julius. The rub with this beer uh, is that you can only get it from the actual brewery or their local shops up around Connecticut, Massachusetts, that area, because it's out of, I think it's uh, Monson, Massachusetts is where it's located. It's fantastic. And the other one was, it's a derivation. The other beer was a little different mix of the same hops and things like that. It's a citrus IPA. It has flavors and aromas of peach, mango, passion fruit, and uh, a malang of citrus is how it's characterized. Oh, how fancy. Yeah. So look it up. You can check for yourself on Beer Advocate. You can check it up on... We're on Untapped, which we don't really mention much on here. But if you're on Untapped, find us, follow us. We'll, you know, we'll connect with you. We can look at what you're drinking as well. It's another app that we use to track all the beers that we have on here. Its ratings are as close as you can possibly get to a five-star. And it's fantastic. It's a little bit thicker. It's almost like uh, an unfiltered IPA, just like the puff I had on the podcast a little bit ago. And I highly suggest if you make your way up there, I'm going to have him ship down some more of these beers for special occasions. But it's got a big orange can. It's got a bunch of fruit in it. It's got a little bit of that Syracuse orange color, so I'm going to crush this thing, just like I hope we do to Syracuse this week. And this is Treehouse Brewing Company? Yes. Okay. Yeah, I have to I have to check that out because, like you said, you can't get it unless you really go up there. Um, there's a lot of good beer up there. I mean, Smutty Nose is from New Hampshire. If you if you do a New England beer tour, you will be treated to – isn't uh, Hetty Topper from up there as well? Yeah, and you know, I'm not a big fan of them, but Magic Hat and, um, and the, all that all that kind of Vermont, New Hampshire, some Portland, of it. Portland, Maine Portland, has Maine. several. Yeah, the, yeah, the New England beers are, are pretty fantastic. I would not say that they're as equivalent. It's a whole different style of beer, but not West Coast, but they have their own style up there that I think is awesome. Okay, we got some lines, and they've been moving all over the place. This is Monday. We're doing our podcast a little early today. Me and Robbie both had some had some time to get things done a little bit earlier in the week, and we were so excited after UNC, we decided to, to get after it on a Monday. And VT is now a 19-point favorite against Syracuse. And that's VT, number 17, on the road in the Carrier Dome, 19-point favorites. You know, this is... This is kind of scary almost. This is so many points. I can't ever remember being a, um, a you know, 19 or 20 point favorite on the road in a, in a long time. Maybe 2011 when we were rolling a little bit. We played Wake on the road and we played Duke on the road. I, I, I can't remember what those lines were, but 19 is a lot. The crazy thing is I, I'm, I'm just going to go with Tech. I took us last week in that coin flip. I've taken us all but one week, and that was ECU when the line was huge at 12 points. And we got and embarrassed when we did on that game. Yeah. <laughs> Both of us it's picked a, ECU. Right, exactly. So I'm going to go with Tech. I said I think we're going to hit 35-plus and and probably 45 just based on what we've been doing against similar competition. And Q's scored nine points at Wake last week. <laughs> it was weather you know, weather was a factor, but nine points against Wake. I think we'll cover that 19. And Robbie, what do you got? So let me clarify before we, Pete and I, we talk a little bit about the teams during the week, but not really that much. Most Usually we're both, both so busy that we don't talk until the day of, and it's just organizing what we're going to do for the podcast. We don't talk about this before the game and we're both, exactly at 57% on the year. And some of our picks have started to overlap, but I think that's also because we're getting a better sense of the teams. I'm taking VT here as well. I may well regret this, and I'll take full punishment from anybody that wants to shoot it my way if something unfortunate happens in this game. But I like the team's confidence. I like that they're going out and really trying to... They want to prove a point every single week. So... I'm going with VT here. 19 points is a ton of points, but I, I can't believe I just took VT minus 19 on the road. It's incredible. <laughs> In the carry dough. I cannot believe I just did that, but that's what this Fuente offense has done to me. It's changed me. <laughs> it's 
hey, it's Fuente Foster, 2016 for president. That's what (laughs) I wish they were running, you know. All right. Next game, NC State at Clemson. Clemson is a 17-point favorite. In this game, NC State is really they've they've surprised me as well. I you know they be they lost to ECU and I couldn't I thought you know maybe ECU is good but it turns out that was just kind of a fluke for NC State. They're actually decent now. They beat Notre Dame in that terrible swamp game. Um, that wasn't a football game. But I, I I as much as NC State's been playing well and passing the ball well, this Clemson defense is not something to mess with, and their offense has now come around. I'm taking Clemson's minus 17. Yeah. There should have been diving boards on the side of the field over there. <laughs> it was a swim meet. That wasn't a football game. I'm taking Clemson. It's a home game. I'm thinking that they win by about 21 points. I don't think this is going to be a blowout. It may well end up that way. But I think 21 points is probably where this game's going to end out. And I feel pretty good about Deshaun Watson and what Clemson is doing right now. Next game is Pitt at UVA. This line smells really funny. Pitt is a three-point favorite. It's at UVA, but Pitt only being a three-point favorite, that does not look right to me. And when that is the case, um, it seems like Vegas knows something. I do think Pitt's going to win this game. And they just won by a slim margin in their last game. They lost by a slim margin in the game against UNC. I'm going to go with UVA. I'm I'm crazy, but something does not write about this line. I should have gone what you did. I took Pitt. I think this might be the week that it's hard because Mendenhall is a, is a good coach. We know that. So Bronco at some point is going to – he may not get UVA to be a good team, but he's going to put something together, right? It would be very surprising that if he didn't. I just feel like this isn't the week. I feel like this is the week that Narduzzi finally figures out how to play friggin' defense, which I can't believe we're even talking about this in 2016, given he's been there for a few years. Their defenses look abysmal, number of points that he's allowing people to put up. I feel like this might be a week that they start to turn it around on the defensive side of the ball. So we're, we're oppo on that one. All right, next game is Wake at Florida State. And Florida State's number 14 after beating Miami by one point. And they are 21-point favorites against Wake Forest. I've been on the Wake train all year. They let me down against NC State, a road game. And Florida State, clearly, we all know, has disappointed just a little bit. Uh, 21 seems like way too many. This line has already come down. It was 22-and-a-half earlier today. And I'm going to take Wake I'm I'm hesitant because of what they did on the road at NC State, but I'm still going to take Wake. I'm staying with my Demon Deacons. Robbie, what do you got? I have Wake as well. FSU, I'm certain will win this game, but I'm taking the points. This has letdown spot written all over it after that Miami game. I'm taking Wake. They they've been playing pretty well. Their defense is halfway decent. I think they can keep it within 21. Next game is UNC at Miami. Big matchup in the Coastal. Miami's number 16. Even after their loss, they just dropped a few spots down to 16, and they are six-and-a-half-point favorites over the Tar Heels that we just crushed. I don't know what's going to happen in this game. (laughs) UNC, will they bounce back? They've had two now hard-fought games in a row. Now, our game wasn't hard-fought in terms of points, but – the toll it takes to play in that kind of weather and then bounce back and play down on the road in Miami, it's tough. And they had played FSU in Florida the week before that. For that reason, I'm going to go with the Canes. I'm going UNC only because Mitch Trubisky, for all the recognition that he was getting, now kind of gets to reset and play. He gets to play the disrespect card, the quintessential Michigan State True. disrespect card. <laughs> and I think for that reason, it could be a high-scoring affair, assuming that there's no hurricanes that are in, you know, coming in uh, into the eastern seaboard again. And you're taking the points in a shootout. I know. I think it's going to be high-scoring, and I think for that reason, I'm going to have to take the dog. Okay. 
Next game is Duke at Louisville. Louisville is number seven, and this is kind of crazy, but they are 35.5-point favorites against Duke, an in-conference team. So it went up. Uh, I had it at 34.5. It went up again. (laughs) Yes, it's gone up all day, and, you know, I don't know what to do because, you know, Duke, they've been a little bit weird this year. Um, I guess they beat – Notre Dame on the road, and I know Notre Dame isn't good, but that still showed me a, something of what they're capable of. Backdoor cover, I'm taking Duke. I'm going Louisville, home game. To your point on backdoor, which now I think this is almost off the table, but if they're still thinking about this, if Louisville wants to backdoor their way into a playoff spot, <laughs> which with the Houston loss, is nearly impossible in my mind. If Houston didn't lose that game against Navy, they may have had a shot at it. They're going to have to, Louisville's going to have to dismantle every team that they face. And the first one's going to have to be the Blue Devils, especially after that Houston loss. Duke's defense is top 40-ish, but UVA put up 20 on them. I extrapolate whatever Lamar Jackson can go threefold on what other, other, other teams that are not very good have been able to do to you. I think they could put up 60 points in this game. That's a huge freaking spread, and I can't believe I'm doing this. 35 and a half, and I'm taking Louisville. All right, we're going to go outside the ACC for our last two picks. First one is Ohio State at Wisconsin. Ohio State's number two. Wisconsin is number eight, and the spread is 10 and a half. Ohio State is the favorite. With Wisconsin being at home, I'm going to take them against that 10.5, and And it's only due to what they did against Michigan in the big house. Robbie? We might be – this is going to be a make-or-break week for one of us, and it's probably not going to be me. I have – I think the fun stops here for Wisconsin. It's been a good ride. You beat two top 10 teams. It's – to Wisconsin's credit, nobody's put up more than 17 points on them. I can't, but I can't believe how close Indiana kept that Ohio State game, which makes me nervous. So, but I'm taking OSU here. I think this is the time that they get to show whether they're real or not. And the last game we're going to pick is our favorite Tennessee Vols. It's number one Alabama at number nine Tennessee. Alabama is a 13 point favorite, and. Tennessee is coming off that loss to Texas A&M. This is, this is hard. Uh, 13 points seems like a lot because of how talented Tennessee is, even though they've, they've been shaky. They only have the one loss, and they, they could have won that one too. I'm going to take Tennessee uh, against that 13. I know Bama has looked unstoppable, but I think with what Dobbs can do, uh, I just I like Tennessee's versatility. I'm going to go with Tennessee. I may lose on Tennessee for the third time this season. Once when I picked VT to cover and lost another one, and this would be the third time. I'm going Tennessee again, and if they screw me, I'm going to be so mad. UT has a ton of injuries that are starting to pile up, but it's at home. I think they keep it close. They're definitely going to lose this game, in my mind. But I, no, they're going to lose. Yeah, there's no <laughs> doubt. I think they can keep the loss to like 10 points. And let's see if I can lose three times in one season on the same team. We shall see. Well, we've gone long. We had a lot of beers to drink, and we picked a lot of games. But thanks for everyone who listened in. We can see from our numbers – just the fan base starting to come back after that Tennessee loss, and it's exciting. Everyone's starting to really get on board, and, and they should after what we did to UNC. That was an awesome result, and I'm so excited for what we can do this season. This is a total take-care-of-business game this week. Absolutely. Just go out and play the way that you should, and if things don't, if something stupid happens, I'll say it every week. Just get over it, keep playing ball, because we are more talented, and this team has a lot of cohesion, and they can do it. Just go out and play ball. 
You can always get us on Twitter. We're at 2DeepVT. Send us questions or comments at Gmail as well. It's 2DeepVT at gmail.com. Thanks for the new iTunes reviews. We got a couple more after last week. We really appreciate it. And you can always, you know, if you want to give us a review, please do. Until next week when we are prepping for that huge matchup in Blacksburg against Miami, go Hokies. Go Hokies.